I've been wearing all day today, and I'll be wearing it uh, all this week on the lapel of my jackets, my sport coats. It's a pen that looks like the United States Capitol building. I'm not going to give you the whole history of the pen, but I will tell you this. It's something that we had made initially for members of Congress. Pens on the lapel for members of Congress are vitally important. They all wear one, a larger version, smaller version, that identifies them as a member of Congress, and that allows them to go through a security checkpoint in the Capitol building or one of the office buildings without having to virtually disrobe like the rest of us do. Everybody know what I'm talking about? And so that gets them into the building very, very quickly, and that pen that is not duplicatable, they wear a pen that cannot be duplicated It's a specially designed pen just for members of Congress. And so it's important to them. Well, understanding that, we had these pens made. In the dome of the Capitol on the pen, it has a three-word question. By the way, it's a question we ask every member of Congress when we part company from them after we visited either in their office or we bump into them out on the street or maybe in the corridors of the congressional office buildings. We meet a congressman or a senator. We always ask this three-word question as we part company. And the question is this, can we pray? Can we pray? Can we pray for you? Can we pray for you right now? Do you know we've never been turned down one time of that offer to pray? See, prayer's free, but the ramifications of prayer positively are priceless. Ought to hear an amen right there. So anyway, we put that in the dome of the Capitol on the pen, and then down at the bottom of the pen, on the base of the pen, uh, it has Hope to the Hill, which is our D.C. ministry, and the columns of the Capitol are three crosses, a red cross in the middle depicting where Jesus was crucified, two white crosses on either side where the thieves hung on either side of him. And we presented one of these to every single member of Congress in a little packet just like this, the little card that the pen is attached to. If you were a member of Congress and you would open it up, you would read and understand why based on what the Bible has to say that we ought to pray for kings and for all that are in authority, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. All of that is explained inside on the uh, little card that the pen is attached to. Well, what's happened is this. Members of Congress really you know, were captivated by it and God's used it in a, in a wonderful way in their lives. Those on the hill that love the Lord, believe in the power of prayer, understand that America, her need is spiritual, not primarily political. Now, trust me, I'm going to do everything I can to try to get the people I believe ought to be elected come election time, and I'm involved. I'm involved politically. I believe we all ought to be involved politically, but the answer to America's problems has nothing to do with politics. It's a spiritual solution. And those that understand that have warned these and warned these proudly, and I mean the word proudly in the right way. They've worn it because they understand the significance of it, and it's a signal to other members of Congress, would you join us? Would you join those of us that understand that the answer to America's ills is spiritual? Would you join us by praying with us and wearing one of these pens? So it's been a powerful tool. Well, somebody said this, you know what? This needs to go beyond just the United States of America as far as Congress is concerned. It needs to go coast to coast among the common citizenry, and so what we've been trying to do is get these into the hands of the common citizens and encourage people to wear these. And when somebody asks about it, like today, when I stopped just to grab something to drink before I left Conley Springs to come down here, the lady at the drive-thru window said, that's an unusual pen. What does it represent? Just for a couple of minutes, I literally had a chance to explain to her the significance of this. She was beyond intrigued by it. And uh, it's a conversation starter. And so um, I'm saying all that to say this. If you would like one of these, I would love to put one of these in your hand. I'd love to do it totally free of charge. You don't know how much I would love to do that. By the way, uh, there at the end of July, while we were in D.C. with that group, uh, we met at Constitution Hall on the last night. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people there. 
And uh, we did not know going into that evening that Constitution Hall, boy, this is Washington, D.C. This is the epitome of out-of-control governmental entities. Uh, the Constitution Hall said, whatever you sell, if you sell these or those coins that I've had here in the past, if you happen to sell any of those, we get a 25% cut of whatever you make. I said, why didn't you tell us that ahead of time? Well, that's just understood. I said, well, we didn't understand that. So uh, we had a little bit of a meeting and a conference with some of our team and we decided uh, we'll, we'll one-up them on that one. We won't sell anything. We'll just give them all away. So that's what we did. We gave them all away, about 800 of them, 800 of them, all right? You say, preacher, that's a little bit spendy. Yes, it was. Boy, but to make that point, it sure felt good. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, but we got them into the hands of people that came on that trip and people that came to that last night's event uh, so I'd love to give you one. The fact of the matter is, because I just gave so many away, I can't do that again. But if you would like one for a very minimal amount, I'll be glad to put one in your hand. But here's the caveat. If you purchase one for just a minimal amount, uh, you have to do two things. Number one, you have to agree to wear it. All right? You have to wear it. And then number two, the second thing I want you to agree to is not only to wear it, but if somebody asks you about it, speak up and say, this is something members of Congress are wearing and it basically says this, the hope for America is not in politics. The hope for America is in Jesus Christ. And if you'll do that, it'll open up all kinds of doors for you. I'm just promising you it will. Wonderful, wonderful conversation starter. And I'm all about starting conversations with people that normally may not listen to a word I would have to say. But boy, when they ask a question, I'm glad to jump in and share Jesus with them. And so if you're interested in one, I do have a limited number here with me tonight. I think I've got some more maybe uh, at home, but I've got a limited number tonight, and that's not a sales pitch. Heard a Southern Gospel guy say one time, he said, we've got a limited number of CDs, and if we sell all those out, I'll run back out to the bus and get another limited number of those CDs. That's not what this is, all right? That's not what I'm doing. Uh, I have a limited number of them here with me tonight. I believe I do have some more maybe back of the house, a few but if you want one of those limited number I've got tonight, you let me know and uh, I'll tell you the price and put one in your hand if you'll wear it and then talk to people that ask you questions. Daniel chapter number eight, if you would please. Daniel chapter number eight. All this week, tonight all the way to Wednesday night, with the help of the Lord, I believe I'm being led to go this direction. I want to talk to you about where we are in our world and where we are, I believe, on the prophetic timeline of end time events. You say, preacher, and I get this question a lot, why in the world should we be worried about anything that's going to happen after the rapture? Can I say this? Some of us right now have family members and neighbors and co-workers and loved ones, classmates that do not know Jesus as their Savior. What's going to happen after we're taken out of here is going to be vitally important to them if they don't come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. So because of that, it ought to be vitally important to us. There is no premium on ignorance. In other words, not knowing what's going to happen. We need to know what's going to happen in the end time. And significant portions of the Bible are given over, over rather, to prophetic truth and to the addressing of end time events. And certainly, the book of Daniel is one of those books that deals with that. So I want to direct your attention to Daniel chapter number 8. I want you to let your eyes rest, if you would, please, on verse number 23. And I want to talk to you tonight about this topic very, very quickly the Antichrist, his rise, his resistance, and his religion. How many of you know the Bible teaches in the last days there's going to be a one world religion? How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you believe and know the Bible says in the last days there's going to be a one world government in the end time? How many of you believe and understand the Bible teaches there's going to be a one world economic system in the end time? Well, there's going to be all of those things tonight. 
I want to talk not so much about that. We'll deal with that maybe tomorrow night or Tuesday night. But tonight I want to talk to you about the rise of the Antichrist. Where does he come from? His resistance. What are the things he fights against? And how is what we're watching right now playing into every bit of that? And then I want to spend the majority of the time right at the end of the message on the religion of the end time. Now, folks, listen to me. I understand. I know what I was taught growing up as a boy that the end time religion of the, the one world uh, religion would be Catholicism. How many of you heard that before? Catholicism going to be the one world religion. May I say this? There's going to be a lot of things. If I can use a tornado as my illustration, going to be a lot of religions because it's a one world religion. A lot of components swirling around the outer perimeter of the one world religion. But the the vortex of it, the primary dominating religion, I don't think is going to be Catholicism at all. I think it's going to be something else. A lot of things on the outer perimeter swirling around the vortex, but the vortex is going to be something I think very specific. And I want to show you tonight from the word of God what I believe that is. Now, having said all that, look at Daniel 8. Let your eyes rest on verse number 23. Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, Daniel the prophet writes these words, speaking of the end time. He says this, and in the latter time of their kingdom. By the way, the there refers to the Gentile kingdoms or the Gentile rulers of the world in the end time. In the latter time of their kingdom, watch this next phrase, when the transgressors are come to the full. Look up at me for just a moment, if you would, please. Any of you remember maybe something like this done in a physical science class like it was done for me? I remember our teacher bringing us into the classroom for physical science. Everybody gets in their desk. She then did this. She invited everybody to get up out of their desk after she took roll, gather around her desk. She had a pitcher, and she had a glass of water, and she had an eyedropper. I noticed she poured water from the pitcher over into a clear drinking glass almost all the way up to the top. Then, Pastor, she did this. She dipped her dropper, eyedropper, down into the pitcher, sucked up more water into the eyedropper, held it over what appeared to be an already full drinking glass, and started dropping one, two, three, four drops of water into the drinking glass, and then she stopped. She said, now, I want all of the class to do this. I want you to drop down on one knee. Girls and guys, I want you to look across the top of that drinking glass. First time I'd ever noticed this, Brother Dale, that glass was so full of water that the water was actually arching up in a convex manner over the top of the glass. Everybody know what I'm talking about? She began to explain this. Water is made up of molecules, and molecules, because of their very nature, tend to cling together. And so you can fill a drinking glass so full of water that the water will arch up over the top of the glass like this one is in a convex manner. She then sucked up a little more water into her eyedropper, one, two, and on the second drop of the second time doing that, the glass was so full the water spilled over the outside. Would you agree with me that's a full drinking glass, right? You can't get any more water into the glass. Do you understand there's gonna come a time on the earth when transgression comes to the full? In other words, pastor, there's going to come a day on this planet where sin and evil is so dominant that you can't cram any more sin into the glass. Folk, we are almost there. Look what the Bible says is going to happen. Look at verse 23 again. In the latter time of their kingdom when the transgressors are come to the full, a king, by the way, this is a world ruler, the Bible calls him the Antichrist, a king. Notice the description of fierce countenance. 
literally ferocious countenance. You say, wait a minute, preacher, that doesn't make sense. I thought the Bible says Antichrist is a peacemaker. Yes, he comes on the scene after the rapture wearing a thin veneer of peace, but behind the thin veneer is what he really is, and in his essential character, he is ferocious. Is everybody with me? A king of ferocious countenance, watch this, and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. You say, what does that mean? Dark sentences literally in the Hebrew, not trying to impress you, but it literally means this. It means riddles. Riddles. Dark sentences equals riddles. You say, what kind of riddles? R-I-D-D-L-E-S. It means economic riddles. Political riddles, Brother Dale. Antichrist is going to seemingly have an answer to everything that is plaguing the world right now, economically, politically, and every other way. Is everybody hearing me? Well, how's he going to have an answer to all that? 2 Thessalonians 2 says, Antichrist is going to be energized, energized by Satan himself. Pastor Antichrist is not operating in the realm of his own human ingenuity. He's going to be having demonic help, satanic help, because he's energized by the devil. Is everybody hearing me? He's going to understand dark sentences, riddles, and he's going to stand up. It means he's going to emerge on the world stage. Look at verse number 24. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. This is Daniel all the way back in the Old Testament acknowledging what 2 Thessalonians says. He's not operating in his own ingenuity. He's got satanic help. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. Watch the rest of it. And he shall destroy wonderfully. Somewhere in the margin of your Bible, you ought to put this term in. Wonderfully means awesomely. In one sense, it's going to be awesome to watch how Antichrist destroys. And the word destroy there means dismantle. In other words, preacher, he's going to pull down, undo institutions, things that have been around for ages on end. And in one sense, it's going to be awesome to watch how he does it so quickly and so easily. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. Look at the middle of verse 24. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. Watch verse 25. And through his policy also, he shall cause what? To prosper in his hand. Say the word out loud. What is it? Craft. The word craft means deceit. Antichrist is going to elevate deception to a whole new level. Somebody asked me, preacher, you work with members of Congress. I said, I do. He said, can you tell if they're lying? I said, I think I can. He said, how can you tell? I said, if their lips are moving, they're pretty. No, 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 that's not right. <laughs> with some of them, it's true. The fact of the matter is this. There are some people that have lied so long on Capitol Hill, they believe their own lies. Did any of you see the meme I saw it the other day, showed it to my wife? A guy is holding a gun on another guy, and the guy's got his hands up, and the guy holding the gun says, give me all your money. And the guy with his hands up said, but I'm a member of Congress. The guy holding the gun says, okay, let me rephrase that. Give me all my money. <laughs> hey, listen, folks. There are people that have lied for so long on Capitol Hill, they believe their own lies. You think there's something? Antichrist is gonna eclipse them by far. Are you listening? He's gonna cause craft to prosper in his hand. Look at the rest of verse 25. And he shall magnify... Would you say the next word? Who's he going to magnify? Say it out loud. Himself. Have you ever heard of the term narcissism? 
How many of you know what a narcissist is? Okay, if you don't know, let me explain. A narcissist is somebody who lives life like this. It's all about me. It's all about my agenda. It's all about what I want. I don't give a rip what you think. I don't give a rip what your opinions are. I don't give a rip what you want. It's all about me. That's an, by the way, I had a classmate in high school. He said, and he was illustrating, kind of funny. He said, okay, Dave, enough talk about you. He said, no, and the other way, enough talk about me. He said, let's talk about you. What do you think about me? <laughs> That's a narcissist. Everybody with me? Antichrist is going to be a narcissist. He shall magnify who? Say it again. Himself. Watch the rest of the verse. And he's going to do it in his heart. And by peace, literally feigned peace, pretended peace. By peace shall destroy many. Watch the arrogance of this guy. Look at the last phrase of verse 25. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes. The prince of princes is Jesus. Do you understand this guy, Antichrist, is going to be so arrogant? He thinks he can take Jesus on. Is he ever in for a rude awakening? Look at the end of verse 25. But he, the Antichrist, shall be broken. I love this phrase, without hand. It means this, Jesus doesn't even lift a hand against him. He just speaks the word out of his mouth and puts that old dude down. Can I hear an amen? Wow. The Antichrist. Now, I want you to see his rise. Look at Daniel 7. And let your eyes rest, if you would, please, on verse number 7. Now, buckle in tight. I'm going to move quickly tonight. I want you to see this. Daniel 7, verse 7 says, And after this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth. Would you say the next word out loud? A fourth what? Folk, anytime in the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation, you see the word Beast. It refers to one of two things or both of them. It can refer to the Antichrist himself because he's called the beast or it can refer to the kingdom, the empire of the Antichrist in the end time. Actually, here in Daniel 7 verse 7, the word beast refers to the empire of the Antichrist, but it can also refer to him personally. There's some flip-flop back and forth. Some of it describes him as a person. Some of it describes the empire he will rule over in the last days. Look again at verse number seven. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast. Listen to the description. Dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it... The Antichrist and his empire had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it and it was diverse. The word diverse means totally different from all the beasts, all the empires that were before it and it had 10 horns. Look at verse number eight. And I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another little horn. Now folk, again, I'm not trying to overburden you with a lot of superfluous details, but the little horn, every Bible scholar agrees, they all concur, the little horn is the Antichrist himself. So brother Dale, here's the deal. In the last days, there's going to be 10 horns or 10 world leaders. From among those 10 world leaders, in the last days is going to pop up a little horn, the Antichrist himself. Look at the rest of the description, verse number eight. Before whom three of the first horns, three of the first world leaders were plucked up by the roots. Now, I wish I had time to delve into that and I'll not do it, but look at the last part of verse number eight. And behold, in this Horn, the little horn, the Antichrist. Please note this because it's repeated over and over again in the book of Daniel where eyes 
like the eyes of a man, watch this next phrase, and a mouth speaking great things. In other words, it's said over and over again, Antichrist is going to be a gifted communicator. Antichrist is going to be a gifted speaker. Antichrist is going to have an ability to talk and woo the world with his speech. Is everybody hearing what I'm saying? But he arises as a little horn from among 10 other world leaders. You say, preacher, what is it saying? We're talking about the rise of the Antichrist. Please, if you're taking notes, write this down. His rise, his rise, number one, is from virtual obscurity. His rise is from virtual obscurity. He just pops up from among 10 other world leaders. You say, preacher, help me understand that, all right? I'll, I'll be glad to. Any of you remember who was elected president in 1976? Talk to me. Jimmy Carter. Anybody remember anything about Jimmy Carter? What was his occupation before he became president? Peanut farmer. Now, some of you that are older can relate to what I'm about to share with you. I will never forget my dad saying, how in heaven's name did a peanut farmer from Georgia become president of the United States? Any of y'all wonder that? My dad was stunned by that. How is it possible that somebody unknown to the United States for the most part, certainly unknown to the world, how could a peanut farmer become president of the United States? He said, well, Brother Dave, there's people behind him. There's always, and folk, you're right. There's always people behind the politicians pushing, promoting, trying to get them to the big dance, trying to get them on the big stage. But from our perspective, he popped up out of nowhere. Is everybody with me? Pretty impressive, wouldn't you agree? Folk, we don't have to back up to 1976. Now, please don't throw a hymn book at me or rotten tomato or an apple or something. I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to be honest. By the way, I hate the word politics. It's a compound word, you know. Poly, many, ticks, blood-sucking insects, all right? So I hate politics, all right? I love civil government, and we're called to be involved in civil government. Let me give you an illustration. We don't have to back up to 1976. All we have to do is back up to 2004, do you know other than a speech at the DNC, the Democratic National Convention, nobody had ever heard of a man named Barack Hussein Obama either. I remember the night he came on at the Democratic National Convention. I remember looking at this good-looking guy, articulate, I mean communicator extraordinaire. And my wife was washing the dishes. And you know, Brother Dale, if I say this to her, I want her to come watch it. I said, honey, I'll do the dishes myself. After I got her up off the floor, she came in and sat down and watched. I said, honey, you've got to see this. She said, who is that? I said, they say his name is Barack Obama. You ever heard of him? Never heard of him in all my life. They're saying he's a junior senator from the state of Illinois. Listen, preacher, never knew anything about him, but all of a sudden, boom, here he is. Never, never in your mind or my mind did we ever think four years later he'd be elected president of the most powerful nation on the planet. Everybody with me? Well, Dave, how does that happen? Sure, there's people behind him pushing, promoting. Some of their names are George Soros and others trying to get Barack Obama on the big stage, trying to get him to the big dance. But from our perspective, he popped up out of virtual obscurity. Are you with me? You say, preacher, that's impressive. Yes, it is. But you wait till Antichrist shows up. He's going to pop up from 10 other world leaders that are going to be prominent in the last days, he's gonna put three of those world leaders down and he's gonna take charge. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? We're talking about the rise of the Antichrist. He rises from virtual obscurity. Number two, if I might say this and I'm not gonna have you turn, but he rises, I believe, from a Gentile background. 
from a Gentile background. You say, preacher, why do you say that? Where do you get that? Now, folks, stay with me. In the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, there are two beasts. Both of them are individuals. One of them is the beast out of the sea, S-E-A. The second beast is the beast out of the earth. Anytime you see the word earth, it literally in Greek means the beast out of the land. The land. There is a specific meaning to that I'm going to get to in just a second. The sea, the beast out of the sea. Preacher, that's the Antichrist. The sea always in the book of Revelation refers to the sea of Gentile nations. So Antichrist is the beast out of the sea. That is, he has a Gentile background. You say, wait, wait, wait a minute, preacher. I thought Antichrist was a Jew. No, 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 no. Antichrist is the Gentile. He has a cohort with him though called the false prophet. How many of you ever heard there's gonna be a false prophet, a religious leader? By the way, he's called the beast out of the earth. Literally, again, the word earth means land, the beast out of the land. Anytime you see the word land in the prophetic portions of scripture, it always refers to a specific track of land, and that track of land is the land of Israel. So Antichrist is the Gentile. The false prophet is the Jew. You know what the two of them do together? They lock arms like a president and vice president and they work deception on the earth after the rapture takes place and after God's church is taken out of here and they deceive people and Antichrist makes them take a mark in their right hand or in their forehead and they won't buy or sell without the mark. And the false prophet is complicit with him in everything he does. Everybody understand what we're saying? His rise his rise. Number two, would you write this down? Not only the rise of the Antichrist, but number two, the resistance of the Antichrist. His resistance. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Folks, Antichrist's name gives it away. Anti, we talked about this morning, anti in Greek, which means against or instead of Christ, Christos, Antichrist comes against Jesus and anything to do with Jesus. He presents himself instead of Jesus as an alternative, but a deceptive, false alternative. Here in Daniel chapter number eight though, there are some specific things, excuse me, Daniel seven, the end of the chapter, some specific things that Antichrist resists and they're recorded for us on the pages of sacred scripture. You say, preacher, where? Look at verse 25 of Daniel seven. Now buckle in tight. Get your seatbelt securely fastened. Get your airbag ready. I want you to see this. This is amazing. Daniel seven twenty-five says, and he, the Antichrist, he, watch this, shall speak. Say the next two words. He shall speak what? A reference to his communication gifts. But look what he does with his communication gifts. Look where he directs them. Look at the rest of verse 25. He shall speak great words against who? The most high. It means the most high God. He uses his communication ability against God. Now, folks, let me pause. Look up at me for a minute. I love communication. It's been my life for 39 years I love it when I listen to somebody else who's a gifted communicator. I'm going to be honest with you. The the video tonight was of one of the greatest communicators that's ever lived in our lifetime. His name was Ronald Wilson Reagan. He earned himself the nickname, The Great Communicator. 
And boy, was he ever. A couple of years ago, Pastor, we were out in California. I don't know if you've ever gone, but we were in Simi Valley and we went to the Reagan Library. Have you been? Isn't it amazing? It's absolutely amazing. First thing, when we went inside, they make you sit down. I don't know if they still do this or not because it's been a number of years back. We sat down and watched a video of what it was like in 1979 when Reagan was elected. 23% interest rates. If you could find fuel, you had to wait in line to get it. Anybody remember those days? Yeah. Boy, we're going back to them, aren't we? Would you have ever dreamed gas would spike to almost twice what it was before President Biden took? You say, preacher, it's president. You left the P off uh, accidentally. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I, I don't think he's legitimate. I'm sorry, I just don't. So we call him the resident of the United States. Now, look, if that offends you, I'm sorry. I don't want you to be offended. But if you'll come to me after the service and apologize for how you feel, I'll forgive you. I promise I really will. I'm joking, okay? I'm joking. Would you have, yeah, kind of. Would you have ever dreamed gas would double? Folks, in 1976, 78, 77, and 79, 76, 77, 78, and 79, there was some trouble going on in our country. And Reagan showed up and he asked a simple question. Are you better off now than you were four years ago? How many of y'all remember that? The obvious answer was, no, I'm not. And so he ran on that and was elected president. He was the great communicator. When we were out at his ranch in Simi Valley, they have a gift shop there, preacher. It was an amazing place. And I went in there and they were playing portions of a DVD that you could purchase. It was called Stand Up Reagan like stand-up comedian. Everybody, Reagan has some amazing one-liners. I mean, amazing, amazing. Anybody remember how he could get a crowd laughing? I mean, he'd be delivering a speech to a joint session of Congress. Tip O'Neill, his counterpart, you know, Speaker of the House behind him, and Reagan would say something, and Tip O'Neill would be doubled over laughing. I mean, hysterically laughing. Reagan was funny. Any of you remember the Reagan-Mondale debate? Where at the beginning, Lehrer from public broadcasting said, Mr. President... You're running for re-election, and if you're elected again, you're going to be the oldest president in the history of the United States. And there's been some rumors that you've nodded off and gone to sleep in cabinet meetings. Is your age going to be an issue? And Reagan said this. He said, I refuse to make age an issue in this campaign. He said, I will not exploit for the sake of political advantage my opponent's youth and inexperience. Anybody remember that? And the camera goes over to Walter Mondale. He's laughing hysterically. I remember saying to my brother, it's over. It's over right there. It's done. They can continue the campaign, but it's over. And it was the great communicator. On the video they were showing in the gift store, I purchased it for this reason. They had Reagan telling this story, powerful story. He told of this young man who was campaigning for local office out in a section of the Midwest, forgive me, not trying to be political, but predominantly a Democrat section, he was running as a Republican. And he was going door to door, knocking on the doors, introducing himself, saying, I'm running for county commissioner and I'd like to have your vote. And he goes up the steps of this farmhouse, as Reagan told it, knocked on the door, farmer comes to the door and the man said, my name is, and he told his name, I'm running for county commissioner on the Republican platform and for the Republican party. And at that, Reagan said, the farmer threw his hands up and said, son, stop, stop, stop. Stop right there. He said, let me go get Maul. Maul ain't never met a Republican. <laughs> so Reagan says he goes to get his wife. While he's gone to get his wife, Reagan said the young politician's looking around for something to stand on to give his speech. And here's the way Reagan described it. He found a pile of that stuff in the yard. 
Here's the way Reagan described it. That Bess Truman, wife of Harry Truman, spent her life trying to get Harry to call manure. And the young man stands up on that. The farmer and his wife reemerge. The young man gives his speech. At the end of it, the wife is just wowed by his communication. She said, son, that's awesome. That's the first time I've ever heard a Republican speech. To which, according to Reagan, the young man said, well, ma'am, to be honest, that's the first time I've ever given a Republican speech from a Democratic platform. <laughs> Listen, I don't quote Larry the Cable Guy often in the pulpit, but I'm gonna say this, I don't care who you are, that's funny right there. I'm just telling you, that's funny. The great communicator, are you listening? Antichrist is gonna eclipse Reagan by far. He's going to speak great words, but they're going to be directed against the Most High God. Are you listening to me? Watch the rest of it. He shall speak great words, Daniel 7, 25, against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Watch the rest of it. And think, and think. The word think in Hebrew means attempt. Antichrist is going to attempt, think, to change. Are you listening to me? I'm not sure you're getting this. He's going to attempt to change. Are you hearing me? He's going to attempt to change. Have we heard somewhere maybe in the last eight to 10 years of a campaign slogan called change you can believe in? Yeah. Can I be honest with you? It's a great slogan. But the change Mr. Obama brought wasn't any change I could believe in. I'm sorry, it just wasn't. Antichrist is going to adopt that same mantra. He's going to attempt to change two things. They're both recorded in verse 25. He's going to attempt to change times. And number two, he's going to attempt to change laws. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Now, folk, look up at me, please. You've got to hear this. Times is a Hebrew word that literally means this. He's going to attempt to change dates. The word times means dates, D-A-T-E-S. You say, preacher, what kind of dates? Calendar dates. Well, Brother Dave, why in heaven's name would Antichrist want to change dates on the calendar? Let me tell you why. Preacher, I've traveled the world. I've been in England, France, Belgium, Scotland, Wales, Canada, Mexico, West Indies, Israel, Africa, and most recently South Korea, all of those places preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? It's been awesome. I've been coast to coast, east to west, more times than I can count, north to south, more times than that. In every nation on the planet, with one exception, the Muslim countries, if you pick up a calendar in any nation on the planet, except in the Muslim world, and you look to the month of November, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see a distinctly Christian calendar date. It's called Thanksgiving. It's on every calendar around the world except the Muslim world. Flip over to the month of December, and on the 25th, I don't care where I've been, preacher, I've made up a habit to do it. I don't care where I'm except in the Muslim world. You pick up a calendar, and every calendar in the world, in every nation, it may be in a different language, but they note December 25th, they call it Christmas Day. Can I hear an amen? amen. There's distinctly Christian calendar dates. Depending on the year, sometimes it's in March, sometimes it's in April. This past year, it was in March. But you look at the most distinctly Christian calendar date, 
possible on the calendar. It's called Easter Resurrection Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior from the dead. Can I hear an amen? It's on every calendar around the world except in the Muslim world. So what's Antichrist going to do? What does it mean he's going to change times, dates? What he's going to try to do, folks, is this. He's going to try to get every date that has anything to do with Jesus off the calendar. And replace it with what, pray tell? Well, because he's a narcissist, he'll replace it with something about him. Because it's all about him. He's going to magnify himself. Now, folks, here's where you need to stay with me. Right now, the rapture hadn't even occurred yet. Everybody with me? Brother Dave, how do you know that? Well, that's simple. I'm still here. That's how I know, okay? So are you. Because when the rapture occurs, in a moment in the sparkling of an eye, we're going out of here. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So we know the rapture hadn't occurred. We're still here. But right now, we're watching the prep be made for this. Pastor, have you noticed? It started back in the 70s, drove my dad crazy. When at Christmas time, they said we're going to say Merry Xmas. How many of you remember this? Younger people going, really? Really? They took the name Jesus out and put it. Yes, they did. How many of you remember what I'm talking about? My dad said... If a store is ashamed to put the name of my Savior in, I'm not going to shop there. Now, you don't have to do that. That's what he did. He just was very, very, very committed to to Christ. And by the way, uh, when they started this stuff several years ago, you know, happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, my wife and I just decided we're not going to shop any place that does that either. Now, we're not going to be unkind. We're not going to be ugly because it's not Christian to be unkind and be ugly, right? We're just not going to shop there. Preacher, that's coincidental. I I don't think so. No, I think it's all preparation to try to do away with anything that's on the calendar to do with Jesus. When Antichrist shows up, he's going to try to take it off the calendar literally. Times, dates. Why is it, folk, right now in public education, you cannot have prayer? You can't talk about Jesus. Now, you can talk about Islam all you want to. You can talk about Muhammad. In fact, they have classes where they talk about, but you bring up Jesus, it polarizes the room, doesn't it? What's going on here? There's a road being paved for the Antichrist to waltz down and ultimately take every calendar date off the calendar that has anything to do with Jesus. And you and I are watching it be set up. Times. Dates, but not only is he going to think or attempt to change times. Look at verse 25 again. Folk, you've got to see this. He's also going to attempt to change. Would you say the next word out loud? What? Laws. You say, preacher, times means dates. What does laws mean? Are you ready? Are you ready? It literally means laws. It's exactly what it means. You say, no, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute, preacher. Why would Antichrist want to change laws? Folk, I don't know if you've had the privilege to travel the world like I have and see it. Did you know every legal system in every nation on the planet, Islamic nations being the only exception, every legal system is based in Judeo-Christian belief coming from the Bible? Preacher, I don't think so. I know so. Do you know in every nation of the world, Muslim nations, certain things being an exception, do you know it's always wrong to murder? Do you know in most nations, it's wrong to commit adultery? Do you know the United States, did you know the North Carolina Constitution? 
used to call home. I don't know if they've taken it out. I hadn't checked. The last time I checked, it was in there. Do you know that the North Carolina Constitution called homosexuality a crime, a crime against nature? Wow. Many other states had it in their constitutions as well. It is unnatural. Can I hear an amen? A crime against nature. What I'm trying to tell you is the legal systems of the world are rooted in a belief in the Bible. A moral code that comes from somewhere has worked its way into our laws. Folk, it was put into our laws here in the United States on purpose by the founders. Certain things are wrong because the Bible says so. Can I hear an amen? And it's not just here. Other than the Muslim world, it's all over the world. So Antichrist is going to try to get rid of any law rooted in a belief in Jesus Christ. By the way, folks, we're watching that be set up too. We are watching it be set up. Preacher, how? Do any of you remember the name Kim Potter? She was a lady that thought she was drawing her Taser and drew her service revolver and fired it and actually shot a guy and killed him. How many of you remember what I'm talking about? By the way, the entire incident, tragic as it was, horribly tragic, caught on video. And the minute she fired her revolver, you could tell it was an accident because she started screaming, Oh no, oh no, I shot him, I shot him, I shot him. Do you know she had 25 years of stellar service? Nothing even remotely close to wrong in what she had done. They put her on trial. Do you know the most, and I'm not, I'm not an attorney and I don't play one on TV or don't play one on radio, but I was headed for a legal career before God called me to preach. I will tell you this, the most she should have ever been charged with and convicted of would have been second degree manslaughter. But the shooting occurred in the state of Minnesota. And the attorney general of the state of Minnesota, a gentleman by the name of Keith Ellison, used to be a congressman in Washington, D.C. By the way, he was one of the first two Muslim congressmen in the United States Congress. He stepped down from his position as United States congressman to run. People said it's a step down. In his mind, it wasn't. He took a step down, as most people would view it, to run for attorney general of the state of Minnesota. Why would he do that? Because attorney general is the chief law enforcement officer of any state. And so when Miss Potter shot the gentleman accidentally, he didn't go after her with second degree manslaughter. He went after her with first and second. Why would he do that? See, first degree manslaughter, if you're convicted, carries with it the possibility of 33 plus years in prison. He wanted to put her away as a law enforcement officer for the rest of her natural life. Is everybody listening to me? Thankfully, there was a jury that had enough common sense not to fall for what he was trying. And they convicted her of only second-degree manslaughter, which is an appropriate conviction. Is everybody listening? Why would Keith Ellison, as a Muslim attorney general, want to put her away for the rest of her life? Why would he want to demean, put down an officer of the law 
Law based on what the Bible says. Judeo-Christian belief. Why would he want to? Because, folks, he wants to do away with Judeo-Christian belief. And he wants to implement in the state of Minnesota a thing called Sharia law. So he went after Kim Potter. Thank God again for some wise jurors that saw through what was going on. You say, preacher, what are you saying? Folk, I'm saying this. The road's being paved. Antichrist is gonna come down it. When he shows up after the rapture, he's not just gonna attempt to get the dates off the calendar and the laws based in Judeo-Christian belief removed. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. And what you and I are watching right now is the setup for it all. His rise... His resistance, I want you to look at Daniel chapter number nine. Daniel chapter number nine, let your eyes rest if you would please on verse number 35. Daniel chapter nine, let your eyes rest if you would please at the end of the chapter. Now, folk, don't get concerned, but I've said everything I've said to get to right here, all right? Everything I've said, I've said to get to right here. Look at Daniel chapter number nine. In fact, let's go all the way to Daniel chapter number 11 for sake of time. We'll bypass chapter number nine and I can say what I need to say in Daniel 11. Look at verse number 36. Now, folks, I want you to hear me out. This is vitally important. His rise, his resistance, number three, his religion. His religion. Antichrist is going to practice a particular religious belief. Look at Daniel 11, verse 36. Now, please stay with me. And the king, the king is the Antichrist, shall do according to his will. He's a narcissist. He's gonna do what he wants. Everybody understand? And shall exalt who? Say it out loud. Himself. And magnify who above all? Himself. Above every God and... a reference again to his speaking ability and shall speak marvelous things, but look where he directs it, against the God of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished for that that is determined shall be done. Now watch carefully verse 37. Neither shall he, the Antichrist, regard the God of his fathers. You'll notice the word God there is capitalized. Neither shall he regard the true and living God, which is distant ancestors, which is what the word fathers means, who they worship, nor the desire of women. Let me read verse 37 again. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, the God of his ancestors, nor nor the desire of women. He's gonna have no regard for the desire of women, nor regard any God, little g, for he shall magnify himself above all. Now, folks, look at me for just a minute. What does it mean he's not gonna regard the desire of of women. I had a guy tell me, ah, ah, preacher, I've got it, I've got it. Antichrist is going to be a homosexual. You know what? It's a compelling case that could be made. But I don't think that's what that means. Notice words mean things, folk. Words mean things in the Bible. We believe, and I'm going to throw some theological terminology at you. I'm not trying to impress you, but I want you to learn something. We believe, your pastor believes, your staff believes, I believe, we believe in what's called the verbal plenary inspiration of the Scriptures. Can you hear an amen, Brother Dale? 
My friend, missionary Dale Little, believes in the verbal plenary inspiration of the scripture. She said, preacher, what does that mean? That means this. We believe that Bible that's up on the pulpit, the one you've got in your lap, God didn't just breathe out concepts and the biblical authors write it down any way they wanted to. No, God breathed it out. Yes, he used their distinct personalities and all of that, but what's on the page is exactly down to the very words what God wants on the page. So you can have confidence in your Bible. Can I hear an amen? Verbal, plenary, inspiration. So words are important. Now I want you to note verse 37, look at it. It says he won't regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire, what's the next word? Of women. Now if it said he won't regard the desire for women, I might be prone to think, well, maybe, maybe the Bible is trying to hint that Antichrist or maybe telling us directly, Antichrist is going to be a homosexual. But it is not the word for. It is the word of. He won't regard the desire of women. Which pastor brings up an important question. What is the desire of women that Antichrist has no regard for? Well, let me ask you a question. Who was the primary audience that Daniel was writing to? What nationality of people? Jews. Jews. Do you know the desire of Jewish women was this? Going all the way back to Genesis 3.15 where a Messiah is predicted. Can I hear an amen? There's a Messiah predicted. He's gonna put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. And this Messiah is gonna bruise, bruise the head of the serpent, but only his heel is gonna be bruised. Temporary bruise that he's gonna fully recover from. Hey, Jesus, everybody thought when he died on the cross that was permanent. It was not. It was temporary. He rose from the dead. Can I hear an amen? Wow, what a prediction. You know what the desire of Jewish women was going all the way back to Genesis 3.15? Was to be considered worthy, honored, enough to be the conduit, the one through whom the Messiah who was promised to be virgin born, to be honored enough to be the one through whom he would come into the world. Is everybody with me? So some Bible scholars, and totally understand why they come to this conclusion, they say the desire of women, Jewish women, was to be the mother of the Messiah. So when it says Antichrist won't regard the desire of women, it's another way of saying he'll have no regard for Jesus who was the Messiah. Are you with me? I can understand that. But I don't think that's what this means either. Let me broaden it out a little bit. Now I'm not trying to make assumptions I shouldn't make. Is, is it wrong for a woman to have a job outside the home? <laughs> mm, shake your head like this. No. By the way, preacher, how do you know that? Have you read Proverbs 31 recently? You know what the virtuous woman did in Proverbs? She bought, she sold, she made stuff, she sold it, transacted business, bought parcels. I read Proverbs 31, Pastor, and I wonder what in the world her husband do. Can I hear an amen, ladies? What? Sounds like she did it all. Is it wrong for a woman to have a job outside the home? Of course not. Is it wrong for a woman to have a career? No. However, can I say this? Every woman who has not been unnecessarily tainted by the world at some point wants to be two things. And it has nothing to do with a career. Every woman wants to be a wife and a mother. 
Mm. I'll never forget when our oldest daughter was about 10 years old. She said, Daddy, I've got it figured out what God wants me to do. I said, what do you think God wants you to do? She said, God wants me to be a fireman. (laughs) Now, you'd have to know Rachel. She can play a mean violin, but pastor coordinated, she was not. I'm picturing her trying to hold a fire hose and spray. I thought she'll spray everything but the fire. I didn't want to discourage her, so I said, Rachel, Rachel, honey, honey. I said, you're only 10 years old. Got a lot of time to pray about this. Let's continue to pray, shall we? She said, okay, daddy, but I think God wants me to be a fireman. You know, she turned 15. She came to us. She said, dad, I don't think God wants me to be a fireman. Under my breath, I said, the fireman of America, thank you. I'm just telling you they do. I said, sweetie, what do you think God wants you to be? She said, "I (laughs) I think God wants me to be a veterinarian. I said, I can see that. I mean, animals followed Rachel like kids followed the Pied Piper. That's why we've got five cats at our house right now. Folk, at one time we had 12 of them and 15 dogs. They followed Rachel home. We had to get her out of the house quickly. Otherwise, we didn't have any place to put anybody. I said, honey, I could see, I could see you being a, a, you know, a veterinarian. But I said, honey, have you ever considered you can play the violin? Yes, daddy, I know. I'll play the violin for my own enjoyment. But I think God wants me to be a veterinarian. I said, well, you're only 15. Let's keep praying about it, shall we? Okay. You know, she turned 18. She came to us and she said, Mom, Dad, I don't think God wants me to be a veterinarian. I said, well, what do you think God wants you to be? As I'm standing here, she looked me and Mom in the eye and she said, I think God wants me to be a Marine. (laughs) Where's my Marine Corps buddies in the room? (laughs) Okay. I said, a Marine. She said, yeah, Daddy, now follow her reasoning. She said, do you know there's a Marine Corps group? Violin is one of them, first violin, and they've got, they're a decorative group that plays for foreign dignitaries at the White House. They play at the behest of the president, and the first violinist is retiring, and she said, I'm gonna audition, but to audition, I have to be in the Marine Corps to audition, so I'm gonna go down, join the Marine Corps, I'm gonna audition, get the job at the White House, and I'm gonna be a musician Marine. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Rachel, have you ever thought you might join the Marine Corps? And at the audition, you don't get the job? She looked at me, I'll never forget, she said, you don't think that would happen, do you? I said, it could. Never know, stranger things. I said, when's your your appointment to talk to the recruiter? He said, tomorrow, she said. I said, okay, Rachel, here's the deal. Don't sign. I said, in fact, not only don't sign, don't even pick up a pen in the office of the recruiter because they're so persuasive. Just listen to everything he's got to say. Bring all the paperwork home. We'll look at it, pray about it. Fair enough. She said, good deal. So the next day she goes down, two o'clock appointment. She is home at 2.45. I said, Rachel, how'd it go? She said, dad, that was weird. In fact, she said, weird is not really the correct word. Scary is the correct word. I said, what happened? She said, I walked in there and she said, I introduced myself. My name's Rachel Kistler. I want to talk to you about becoming a Marine. But here's what she said next, but I don't want to be a regular Marine. <laughs> Where's my Marine Corps buddies again? Y'all know where that went, don't you? Rachel said, this incredibly fit young man, I mean, perfect V, had muscles on top of muscles, stepped out from behind his desk, came toward me, she said, thundering at me as he came, and she was, he was saying to her, young lady, I'll have you know, every Marine is a regular Marine. She said, no, 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 you don't understand. Job at the White House. I want to audition for that. I got to be a Marine to audition. I want to be a musician Marine. She said, he said, oh, 
grabbed some paperwork, shoved it across the desk, said, take a look at that. If you want to be a part of it, sign up, bring it back. I said, Rachel, what do you think? She said, I I don't think God wants me to be a Marine. (laughs) She said, Daddy, he scared me. I said, wait until you meet that guy down at Paris Island. His initials are D.I., drill instructor, right? She said, is he worse than the recruiter? I said, oh, by far. He's that recruiter times 100 on steroids, right? She said, Daddy, that dude scared me enough. The recruiter, she said, when he came at me yelling every Marine is ready, she said, he scared me so bad I didn't know what to do. She said, I saluted him. I didn't know what else to do. (laughs) I don't think God wants me to be a Marine. When she, no joke, when she turned 20, she came to mom and I and she said, uh, Dad, Mom, did you know that the Disney Corporation, <laughs> did you know that they have an orchestra called the Disney Orchestra that plays all the orchestral backgrounds for all their movies, their animated features? Like Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, you know, Road, Road you, know, you know, all of those, there's, there's music in the background. She said, there's an orchestra made up of wonderful musicians, and they are, that play all the orchestral backgrounds for the chase scenes and the tension scenes in Disney movies. She said, they're looking for a first violinist. And she said, I I think I'm going to go audition in San Diego, California. I said, really? I said, you haven't agreed to take the job. She said, no, no, no. I said, when you get there, you'll not agree. No, no, we'll we'll, we'll talk about it. I'll see what they offer me. Come back, we'll talk and pray about it. I said, great. So she goes, comes back. She said, dad, you're not gonna believe it. She said, I will work some weeks, 10 hours a week. But she said, daddy, here's the awesome thing. Some weeks it'll be 40 hours, but she said, most weeks it'll be closer to 20. Some weeks only 10. But she said, dad, here's the thing. If I take the job, they're going to pay me. She said, are you ready? I said, I'm ready. She said, they're going to pay me $300 an hour. She said, do the math. I said, I am. Whoa. And then as only a child can say it, she looked at me and she said, Daddy, I will be making more than you, man. I said, yes, you will a lot more. But I said, my dad, your granddad who loved you, used to tell me and my brother, your uncle, used to tell us this, don't ever take a job just for the money. That's good advice, folks. Don't you ever do something or not do something, we talked about it this morning, just for the money. Money's a factor, but don't do anything just because of the money. I said, Rachel, pray about it. She said, I will. Do you know a week later she came to mom and I? I was so proud of her. She said, Dad, I, I turned down the job with Disney. I said, you did. She said, I did. I said, why'd you do that? She said, well, Dad, let me be honest with you. I never thought I'd say this. She said, I would give up everything. I'd give up my violin, my ability to play the violin, if I could just be two things. I said, what are those two things, sweetheart? She said, if I could be a wife and a mom. By the way, she's now both. She has our one and only grandchild named Char- Prince Charles, we call him. <laughs> Smartest kids you've ever met. Huge vocabulary. <laughs> you know what he calls me? He calls me Papa. He started calling my wife BB, 
Now he just calls her baby. Baby, can I come over to your house? <laughs> On the phone, FaceTime while we were out in Idaho. Hi, Papa. Hi, baby. Are you having a good day? We are. How about you, Charlie? My day's great. That's exactly the way he said it. They're amazing, aren't they? How many of you grandparents know what I'm talking about? My dad said it this way. If I'd have known the grandkids would be so great, I'd have had them first and just bypassed you and your brother. Man, I get that now. They're amazing. Yeah, Daddy, I'd give up everything, including my ability to play the violin if I could be a wife and a mom. Do you know what the desire of women is? The desire of women, ladies, it's familial, family-oriented, tender desires. Have you ever seen a grandmother's paddle? It's a massive pillow. Women have tender, we men are different, aren't we? When the Bible says, I want you to watch it. Neither will he regard the God of his fathers, the God of his ancestors, nor the desire of women. I believe it means he'll have no regard for the tenderness, the familial, family-oriented desires of women. No, he has no time for that. Then what does he put in its place? Watch your Bible. Nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. Look at verse 38. But in his estate, he shall honor the God of, would you say the next word out loud, the God of what? Literally, it means this, folk. In Hebrew, it means, the, or Greek, it means, Hebrew, excuse me, it means the God of brute force. Brute force. In other words, no time for tenderness. What I exalt is brutality. Watch verse 38. But in his estate shall he honor the God of literally brute force and a God, little g, a deity whom his fathers, whom his ancestors knew not, shall he honor with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things. Look at verse 39. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God. The word strange in Hebrew means alien, not alien from another planet, but a weird, weird deity, something his ancestors knew nothing about, with an alien God whom he shall, look at the middle of verse 38, acknowledge and increase with glory. And he, the Antichrist, shall cause them, the ones who worship this strange deity, to rule over many and shall divide the land. Remember I told you anytime you see the word land, it's a specific track of land. He shall divide the land of Israel for gain. Now, folks, look up at me for a minute. Any of you familiar with the term the two-state solution? The two-state solution? The two-state solution applies to the nation of Israel. It means this. Israel, you, you, you have right to part of the land. You have a right to half of the city of Jerusalem. But Palestinians, you've got right to the other part of the land. And you have right to half of the city of Jerusalem. Do you know the problem with the two-state solution? It's not Bible. You know what the Bible says? God gave the land, the capital city thereof being Jerusalem, he gave it to the nation of Israel. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So there's only a one-state solution in the Bible. And by the way, folks, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just telling you the facts. Every president in your lifetime and mine, except one, has been a proponent of the two-state solution. George H.W. Bush, proponent, two-state solution. George W. Bush, proponent, supporter of the two-state solution. Bill Clinton, supporter of the two-state solution. Barack Obama, big-time supporter of the two-state solution. Do you know the only president in our lifetime that was been supporting a one-state solution was Donald Trump. 
preacher, you're being political. No, I'm not. I'm just telling you the facts. Facts are nasty stuff, aren't they? Yeah. One state solution. He said it belongs to Israel. By the way, he campaigned on it. Imagine this, a politician campaigning that if I'm elected, I'll do this. I will move our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. He didn't just campaign on it. When he was elected, he did it. Can I hear an amen? By the way, I don't just recognize Israel as owning part of the land. I'll recognize the land in Jerusalem as theirs. And he did it. So much so was he loved by the nation of Israel that friends in the north along the Syrian border, in the Golan Heights, they have a housing development that they call Trump Heights. Because they, they say nobody since King Cyrus of the Old Testament has been such a friend to the nation of Israel. And it's true. He's right. Antichrist, though, is going to be a two-state guy. And he's going to divide the land for gain. Now, let me ask you a question and we're done. What religion runs roughshod over the tender feelings of women? What religion is it that when a woman steps out of line, they cut off her nose or cut off her ears? What religion is it that has no time for anything but brutality? Talk back to me. Islam. I believe the one world religion of the end time, the vortex, Lots of stuff circling around the outer perimeter, but the vortex of the one world religion is going to be Islam. Which, by the way, folks, explains a lot of what's going on in our world right now. A lot. Now stay with me and I'm done. Preacher, is this the only reason you believe the one world religion of the Antichrist is going to be Islam? No. I don't have time to turn and read it to you, so I'm just going to tell you and I'm through. In the book of Galatians chapter 4, Paul makes a fascinating statement. In chapter 4, Brother Dale, he says, Now Abraham had two sons. One was the son of the free woman, Isaac. The other was the son of the bondwoman, Ishmael. You remember how Abram was an old man and God said, You're going to have sons. Sarah's going to give birth to him. Remember what Abraham did? <laughs> I'm almost 100 and my wife is over 90. <laughs> God said, don't laugh. Don't you laugh. That which is impossible with man is always possible with God. So here comes Sarah. She said, I got an idea. Let's help God out. I got a handmaid. Her name is Hagar. Why don't you go into her and maybe, maybe God will give us Children is the sand of the seashore through Hagar. And you know what? Abraham listens. And God said, look, I made a promise. Your offspring's gonna be like the stars of heaven, like the sand of the seashore. That boy that Hagar gives birth to, his name's gonna be Ishmael, but I'm gonna keep my promise. He's gonna be a great people, but he's not the promised one. You and Sarah are gonna have a child. And preacher, in the process of time, they do. Paul says in Galatians 4, now Abram had two sons. He's very quick to say this, but these two boys are more than just two boys. Galatians 4 says they represent two covenants. A covenant is an approach to God, one by faith, the other by works. Is everybody with me? Through the one son, Isaac, came the Jewish people. But also through the line of Isaac came Jesus the Messiah. Are you listening to me? Through the other boy, Ishmael, came another group of people. They're called the Arab people. 
And I believe through the Arab people is going to come the antithesis, the polar opposite of Jesus Christ. Through the Arab people is going to come the Antichrist. And I think he's going to be an adherent rapidly to Islamic ideology. By the way, folks, I'm not trying to be political, but I never dreamed, I never dreamed that eight years after we were brutally attacked on 9-11-01 that would have a president whose name is Barack Hussein Obama. How could that happen? Well, Brother Dave, George Bush got up on ground zero on the pile of rubble, grabbed a megaphone, and said the people that tore these buildings down are going to hear from us. He did say that. But very quickly thereafter, he said this. It was an abject lie. Did he know it was a lie? Or did he just not know? I don't know. But he said this. Islam is a religion of peace. No, it is not. No, it is not. Well, preacher, you hate Muslims. If you think that, you don't know me. I don't hate anybody. But I'm here to tell you I hate the ideology of Islam because it's out of the pit of hell. And Antichrist is going to come through that ideological persuasion. And folk, we're watching it all be set up. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to ask you a question tonight. Folk, please hear me out. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to put together what's going on in our world. Jesus is being demeaned any mention of his name is being demeaned or not tolerated altogether. In our military right now, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, life is difficult for you. If you're a follower of Islam, life is very easy. All over the United States of America, weird things are happening. They're advancing the ideology of Islam. You say, preacher, you keep calling it an ideology, not just a religion. Yes, I do, because it's not just a religion. It has ideological, political, legal components. Just visit either London, England, or Birmingham, England, where there are Sharia-compliant zones in England where British law is not the law, Sharia law is. And folk, I've preached over there so many times, 20 trips I've made to the country of England, to the city of Birmingham, and the church I preached at for 20 years now sits in a Sharia-compliant zone. That means this. Ladies, when you walk into that area, you better meet the Muslim dress code for women because British law doesn't apply. They're trying to get that passed in the state of Minnesota and in portions of the state of Michigan. And by the way, folks, I'm not trying to be unkind. I want to see these ladies saved. But we've got several Muslims in Congress. One of them is named Rashida Tlaib. The other one's name is Ilyan Omar. I've been on an elevator with Miss Omar. She won't even look at you. She won't even talk to you. We have been very gracious and very kind to her. But her purpose in being in Congress, as well as that of Miss Tlaib, has nothing to do with advancing anything to do with that which is American, much less anything to do with that which is Christian. They have come in surreptitiously. It's all part of a plan. 
that's moving us toward the end time. Now, folks, what I'm getting at is this. Jesus is coming. And soon. And when he splits the eastern sky, comes in the clouds of glory and says to those of us that are saved, come up hither. We that are saved and only those of us that are saved are going out of here. Left behind are going to be lost people. Perhaps some folks in this room that are going to watch a guy called Antichrist come out onto the world stage. He's going to have a one world economy in his pocket. One world. One world religion. Lots of stuff swirling around the outer perimeter. The vortex is going to be Islam. And he's going to establish a one world government. And you'll take a mark in your right hand or in your forehead because you won't buy or sell unless you do. And the scripture is very clear. Revelation 13, those that take the mark, those that don't refuse it, those that accept it, their eternal doom is sealed at that point. They've sworn allegiance to the Antichrist. Now folks, I want to ask you something tonight. Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you're going to heaven? Do you know that your sin's been forgiven? Do you know that when that event called the rapture occurs, you're going up to be with Jesus for all eternity? Do you know that? If you can say, yes, Dave, I do. Would you lift your hand, hold it as high as you can? Preacher, I know I'm saved. I don't have a doubt about it. I know I'm saved. Thank you. You may put your hand down. Quickly, let me ask this, folks. Is there anyone in the room you do not know for sure that Jesus is your Savior? You don't know for absolute certain that when the rapture occurs, you're going up to be with Jesus. You're not sure that you've been born again, but tonight God's Holy Spirit's dealing with you and you'd be willing to say, preacher, I, I see it, I see it, I get it. Man, I don't want to be left behind. I want to know my, my sins are forgiven. I want to know I'm going up. Preacher, pray for me. I'd love to pray for you. I wonder if right now, that's you. You're not sure you're going up. You're not sure you're saved. But you'd let me have the privilege to pray for you. If so, would you lift your hand right now long enough for me to see it anywhere in the room? I'm looking all across the room. Dave, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that Jesus is my Savior. But please pray for me. All right, one final question. We are living in amazing days of deception. Would you ever imagine 30 years ago that we would be tolerating biological men playing in women's sports? Would you have ever dreamed that? Well, preacher, how did that happen? It started with a series of lies. And now here we are. Would you have ever dreamed that the satanic teaching of a thing called CRT, critical race theory, would be permeating the evangelical seminaries of the nation's leading denomination? Would you ever imagine that? I wouldn't. But now it's happening. Preacher, how? How did we get here? Deception. 
Which means this, the only antidote to deception is the truth. And dear Christian friends, you're going to understand tomorrow night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night why I'm doing what I'm about to do. The antidote to the lies is the truth. This church preaches the truth. Tonight, folk, you've heard the truth from a very imperfect source, a very imperfect instrument trying to declare it, but you've heard the truth. What I want to ask you tonight, Christian friend, is this. This is so important. If you know Jesus as Savior, are you committed to the truth? Well, of course, Dave, I'm committed. Are you? Let me put it like this. And here's the invitation tonight. Are you committed, number one, to living the truth? What the Word says, what the Bible says about everything, I'm just going to live it. Are you committed to living the truth? And number two, dear Christian friend, are you committed to speaking the truth in love, but you're committed to speaking the truth? If tonight you as a Christian are committed to living and speaking the truth, I want us to do this with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you simply stand to your feet? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, just rise to your feet. You'll understand tomorrow night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night why I'm doing what I'm about to do. But folks, this is important. And by the way, there will be a test. It won't be on paper. It'll be a life test. And it's coming sooner rather than later. Preacher, what are you talking about? What I'm wondering tonight is how many Christians in this room would be willing not to say it to me, but say it to your Savior. Say it to Jesus. From this night forward, dear Jesus, I am committed and I'm letting you know and I'm going to let it be known in front of every person in this room. I'm committed to both living the truth and speaking the truth. I'm committed to living the truth and I'm committed to speaking the truth. If you'd be willing to say that to your Lord and mean it, I wonder if you'd be willing to do this. Would you be willing to step out, come gather around this altar, and with your head bowed here, tell the Lord that. I'm co- God bless you, folks. I'm committed to living the truth and to speaking the truth in love. I'm going to speak it in love, but I'm going to speak the truth to my generation. I'm committed to living the truth and speaking the truth. If you can't kneel, just stand. If you want to sit at one of the front seats that are vacant, help yourself to that. But tell Jesus, I'm committed to living the truth and speaking the truth. By the way, Jesus is described this way in John 14, 6. I am the way. Not a way, the way. I am not a truth, I am the truth. And I am not a life, I am the life. Listen to the exclusivity of this last statement. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Wow. Try declaring that exclusive message in our inclusive world and you'll get in trouble on Facebook and everywhere else. But folks, we gotta be livers and speakers of the truth. 
Our world is dying for lack of someone to love them enough to simply tell them the truth. Preacher, do you tell the truth like this in D.C.? Sure do. Sure do. Sure do. Because I'm the answer to God if I don't. I love those folks on Capitol Hill. Like I love you. We've got to be livers of and speakers of the truth. Father, I pray you would bless that which is taking place here around this altar. and Lord, even out at some of the seats out in the congregation tonight. Help us, oh God, never to forget that which we've heard. And Father, commitments that we are making tonight, may we never escape them because Lord, you know there will be a test on all of this. We will be tested with respect to our commitment to the truth. And the test will come probably sooner rather than later. Father, help us to understand our forebears had backbones of titanium when it came to the truth. And Father, that's what's needed desperately in your church today. So Father, give us that kind of rabid commitment to be a liver and a speaker of your truth at this critical time. And Father, for what you do and how you work, in the days ahead, Father, we're going to thank you and give you glory. Father, I pray for that which I've so often besought you. Tonight, I ask you again, would you look down here in Union Grove, North Carolina, and would you see, Lord, the hearts of folks on their face before you, heads and hearts bowed, saying, God, I want to be a liver of and speaker of the truth. And Father, I pray you'd take note of that. And Father, I pray you'd have mercy on our beloved land of America. And Lord, I pray one final time before Jesus comes back, you'd grace us with another nationwide awakening. Lord, if that's going to happen, I know we have to be declarers of the truth. Nothing less will do. So Father, make us in your Holy Spirit's power sufficient for the task that is before us. And Father, for what you do, we'll thank you and praise you. Bless now as Pastor Steve comes to close this service. Guide him by your spirit as you so wonderfully did this morning. And for that, we'll give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. this just for a moment. Let's bow our heads around the uh, room just real quickly tonight. We're going to let you go. If you're uh, watching our live stream tonight, we're honored to have you watching. There's a number on the bottom of your screen, and we have some wonderful people that are waiting by the phone right now. So if you're watching right now, and you say, Brother Pope, I don't know for sure that I'm ready for the coming of the Lord. Listen, if you call that number, we have somebody that would love to to speak with you and tell you how you can know Christ as your personal Savior. Well, thank God we've heard the truth tonight. I appreciate you being here. You can look up this way. Let's, 